0: Hello, and welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Zarars. We are here on the night of the second set of Game 2s in the NHL playoffs. The Rangers defeated the Penguins. That'll be the majority of today's show. The Washington Capitals fell to the Florida Panthers, so both of those series are now tied at one game apiece. As I am recording right now, the Avalanche and the Predators are tied at one in the second period. And the Dallas Stars have a 1-0 lead early in the first period over the Calgary Flames. We're in the mix of it, man. This is my favorite time of year as a hockey fan. You're just going to be inundated with high-quality hockey, and you're going to learn more about these teams than you did over the course of an 82-game marathon, which sounds crazy, but these small sample size games are where you find out who's immune to fluky bullshit and who isn't, and that's how you can really often tell the difference between who's a good regular season team and who's a good playoff team. But, before we get to today's show and we talk a little bit about the Rangers-Penguins game, a little bit of the Washington-Florida game, and the games that are on right now as I'm recording... Got to remind everyone to help support the show. The content is going to keep coming. I promise. I've gotten this episode in on you for Friday for you guys, going into the weekend. We'll be back on Monday. We'll talk about Rangers-Penguins Game 3. We'll talk about all the hockey from over the weekend, from the games on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We'll sprinkle in some Formula 1 and some NASCAR over the weekend for Monday, too, because it's a doubleheader weekend. We've got both of those. Probably spritz in some NBA on Monday as well because it's going to be such a busy weekend of sports. So, to support the content, number one, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Available on all the major podcasting platforms. Interact with any time you see the show's content on Twitter. Please show the show some love. Throw a retweet, a like, send it to somebody else, whatever you want to do to help. Then, if you're using Apple Podcasts or Spotify... Please, 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 leave the show a nice review. If you are using Spotify, scroll past the show's most recent few episodes. There's going to be five clear purple stars. If you could hit the one furthest to the right, that would be great. That's a five-star review. Underneath that is a button with purple letters. If you could be so kind as to write a review, that would be greatly appreciated. And as I say every single episode, whoever's content you enjoy out there, make sure your show will get some love, whatever means it is, if it's a TikTok, if it's someone on Instagram, on, fuck it, if you're using Snapchat still in, in 2022, on YouTube, wherever you're consuming someone's content, show it some love, retweet it, share it so other people can see it, that stuff helps out content creators a lot. Okay, that's the preamble, I'll see you guys on the other side of the drop, we'll talk about Rangers, Penguins, a little bit about, about the Capitals and the Panthers, and if these games break in a, simp- a direction while I'm recording, we can talk about that too. See you guys in one sec. And with that, we will get on into today's episode. So, the Rangers win that game 5-2 to over the Pittsburgh Penguins, and we can all exhale for at least a minute. I'm not going to front on you. After the loss on Tuesday, I became dramatically more concerned about the state of the Rangers for a few reasons. Number one, the Rangers really couldn't score on Casey DeSmith and then Louis Domingue. And Louis Domingue played again tonight. And uh, the Rangers really weren't doing a great job until late in that game of really putting pressure on and sustaining offense. And that... When you have a clear-cut advantage like that, where you have somebody you know is a backup playing goalie for the other team, and then down to their third-string goalie in the middle of that game because Casey DeSmith tweaked something in his lower body, and you're still having a hard time scoring scoring goals, that's really concerning. And that was a concern for a lot of this game until the Rangers managed to pull away late in the game. Uh, even at 4-2, to two, I wasn't particularly confident because the Rangers just... All of their goals, aside from the Vetrano goal, were kind of weird bounces or power play or just not really something you're going to be able to replicate often enough if the other team is on their P's and Q's. Granted. No team is always going to be perfect against you, and Pittsburgh was not perfect tonight, and that's what allowed the Rangers to win. They were The Rangers didn't play particularly great tonight. They were better than they were on Tuesday. They didn't make their goalie make a million saves. He only had to make about half a million saves, but... In terms of a game plan, you saw a little bit more of a concerted effort to try and gain the offensive zone with speed. That has been the Rangers' goal since the trade deadline because they've added Vitrano and Kopp to the top six. They feel more, better situated, I should say, to attack the zone with speed as opposed to trying to dump and chase the puck and go and get it. And that should be the Rangers' goal with those two lines on the ice because those are high-end groups. But early in the game, when the Rangers were really kind of fighting it to get from defense to offense, that is where this problem comes up, because when they can't gain the offensive zone with speed, they just don't do anything in the offensive zone. They are not particularly adept at the cycle game and the high-low, and when the Rangers were able to score in this game, it was a product of working the puck low to high cycling the puck, prolonged periods of sustained pressure, with shots from the point getting redirected. Whether you talk about the Strom goal, the Kreider goal, those are both products of winning puck battles down low, getting the puck to the point, and then being in a shooting lane where the goalie's not going to be able to make a play on a redirect. That is the type of offense that's sticky, that translates game to game. And I mentioned it tonight, I tweeted it during the course of the game, especially, I tweeted it early in the first period, after the first Ranger goal tweeted, if the Rangers can attack low to high, that should be the game plan because Pittsburgh has smaller defensemen. And I know it's especially because Brian Dumoulin, who Pittsburgh's biggest defenseman, was out of the lineup for game two. That is a means where the Rangers are going to have an advantage. Granted, that really only works when the power play or the first line is out there because Kreider is also like the only Rangers forward bigger than all of the Penguins defensemen. And it worked for him and it's worked for him all year. But that is how you wither away against a team with small defensemen that are good at moving the puck out of their own zone and going from defense to offense. You got to be in that net mouth area. You got to be causing havoc in front of the net. You got to be looking for rebounds, redirections. You got to be trying to get those second chance scoring opportunities. The ugly ones. Put it like this the bowling shoe ugly offense, that is going to be the way you're going to score on Pittsburgh more than the score the fancy cross-scene passes, and the pretty stuff that's going to get you on a highlight reel. And as the game went on, the Rangers tried to get back to that high-to-low sequence, and they ended up winning this game pretty comfortably by a score of 5-2. to But going forward in this series, let's attack it from this perspective. The Penguins were without Brian Dumoulin, Jason Zucker, um, Ricard Raquel, Tristan Yari and Casey DeSmith, and the Rangers still got outplayed for a good, I would say, 60% of that hockey game, and when I went and looked at the underlying numbers, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was, something in the ballpark of Pittsburgh 55 scoring chances, the Rangers 50, if you are going to be in that range, that's manageable. If you are going to be in the same ballpark, if you're going to be within 5-6% of pushing even, you can live with that when you have as much high-end talent as the Rangers do. The real problem comes from the fact that the Rangers are not getting to the dirty areas on offense enough, and they are not creating dangerous scoring opportunities. All of the Ranger goals tonight are the products of good play up pie and then one really good cross seam pass from Panarin to Kopp. That only happens because Sidney Crosby is puck-watching instead of picking up Kopp, who's floating into the slot. So when you think about where the Rangers are at, the Penguins are pretty dinged up right now. The Rangers tonight were without Barkley Goudreau. They were without Ryan Lindgren. We have no idea on the ETA if Lindgren available for Game 3. They said Goudreau was week-to-week, so probably won't see him for the rest of this Rangers-Penguins series, just assuming, based on just the way the Rangers are with disclosing injuries, if they're saying week-to-week, he's probably going to be out at least three weeks, two weeks, something like that. So, no Goudreau, which... That hurts the fourth line. Uh, The fourth line was not great in game one. It wasn't great in game two, but Goudreau is better than Dryden Hunt. That that much I can say definitively. I mean, ideally, you would like to have Goudreau, Hunt, and Kevin Rooney as the fourth line, but they seem pretty insistent on Reeves staying in, even though Reeves is pretty much out there just for energy, just to throw some hits around, because I'll be honest with you. After the first ten minutes of game one, I did notice him... At all, aside from one shift that fourth line had in one of the overtimes, I think the second overtime, where they had the puck in the Pittsburgh zone for about 40 seconds. Uh, The Rangers were, they weren't good tonight, they were better than game one. In my notes, the thing I really wanted to focus on here, and really harp, clue in on, I'm not going to be a long episode today, but this is one of the big points I want you to take away. When the Rangers can't get going in transition, the other team smothers them. There was one sequence in the second period I wrote down in my notes where the Penguins had the puck in the offensive zone first. I think it was 85 seconds, against Nemis and Braden Schneider. And Nemis couldn't clear the puck off the zone. Schneider lost two puck battles, Nemeth couldn't get to the puck to clear, and Pittsburgh didn't end up scoring, thankfully, but just that kind of inefficiency where you're pinned in your own zone for close to a minute and a half, you are going to concede a goal or take a penalty. It is just not a, a survivable means of playing hockey, and this has been Nemitz's Achilles heel all season is his inability to clear his own zone, and he loves icing the puck when he's under pressure, even though he's got room to skate, and I know Schneider's a rookie, and they're kind of throwing him to the wolves out there, making him play with a partner who can't move the puck, but that third pair has not been very good. Justin Braun got absolutely dog-walked tonight on the Sidney Crosby goal, the second goal Pittsburgh scored, where... I understand Justin Braun hadn't played in a couple days. Uh, they have him playing on the first pair inexplicably. I do not understand why the Rangers have done this under three consecutive head coaches. Why they will have somebody go from street clothes to the first pair or the first line. Um, probably not a better idea. I probably would have opted to go with Miller and Fox and then Truba with, I guess, Nemeth. And then schneider with Braun, something like that a little more balanced because i think KeAndre miller's been the best rangers defenseman in this series um fox was a lot better tonight i i will say that from game one game one fox was very skittish he really wasn't sure what decisions he needed to be making with the puck he wasn't great in zone especially and that's been true of the rangers as a whole. All of their players basically have been pretty bad in the defensive zone, other than Shesterkin, obviously, who's been a godsend, and we'll talk about Igor in a few minutes, but Fox was a lot better tonight. I wrote down in my notes, and I tweeted at two separate points in the game that Fox was just Everywhere in the offensive zone. Especially on that one power play sequence they scored. The one, I believe, on the Kreider goal. Where they had the puck in that offensive zone for a solid 90 seconds. Fox had a really good keep in where he had to dive to keep it in the zone. And he kept it in. They kept the pressure up. And what makes the Rangers power play so damn good this year. And different from years past. Is the way they align the three guys in the middle. So... Most teams in the NHL run a 1-3-1 configuration, meaning you have one guy walking the blue line who's typically a defenseman, you'll have somebody screening the goaltender, and then you will have one player at each of the half walls, depending on their handedness. One of those guys is gonna be your shooter. One of those guys is gonna be your bumper. And then the other guy is going to be somewhere in that middle slot area to circle around and be available to receive the pass with the guy who's going to be at the point. So when the Rangers run this well, they have Panarin on the uh, same side as Fox, up high. They have Zbinejad at the top of the one circle. They have Kreider, in front of the paint, and then they have Strom at the other half circle, and when it's going right, the thing that makes this so good is it becomes a math equation for the other team. So, Fox is going to skate inwards, whether it's at the top of the circles, in the slot, wherever, and he's going to draw one of the four penalty killers to him. When he does that, that's going to leave four ranger attackers to be defended by three penalty killers, and when that happens then the Rangers have a numbers advantage that's even better, and it's closer to the net, so they have that tic-tac-toe ability of going cross-seam and finding somebody open because there's more space to operate when it's 4-on-3 than 5-on-4. That's what makes it so good. And tonight, Stro was actually where he needed to be for once and actually deflected the puck in the net, which was a nice change. And the other thing I wanted to touch on here was Fox was actually shooting the puck from the point tonight. And it's important you do that to keep the defense honest. it There have been too many times in the last couple of years, not as much this year because the Rangers' power play was so good, but there have been points in years past when the Rangers would really have the power play humming. They would just keep forcing that cross-seam pass from circle to circle to Zabinijad and hoping he could rip it past the goalie. And it's not a bad play. Zabinijad is a plus shooter. His slap shot is really good. I don't know if I would say it's elite, but it's definitely really good. And when the Rangers got a little too in love, with that it makes them predictable then the defense is going to start queuing in on that and Hugging that passing lane And then that pass isn't going to be there Tonight Fox was just ripping it from the point And skating inward And ripping it from the high slot And that's going to pull someone to him And that's going to open up that passing lane So that that cross seam pass will be there Eventually And that's the sign of a good power play When you have multiple means of scoring From that man advantage Then you know you're not really going to have to worry about Dry spells for as long Because you have the Fox shot from the point you have the Zabinijad one-timer, and you have the Kreider deflection. You have three legitimate means of scoring on the power play that the other team has to respect, and it keeps them out of sorts, and that's the key to scoring on the power play, is being unpredictable, is having multiple ways to get the puck in the net so that the defense can't sit on anything. I for, I think it was Eddie Olchek who had just... I. I've been out on the TNT crew basically since the beginning of the season because it's very much just the same thing they were doing at NBC, SN, and Eddie Olchek very, very seldom makes a good point, but this was a good comparison he made. He said having multiple ways of scoring is like being unpredictable as a football offense. Um, the way to think about it is if you're going to keep running the ball, which would be the cross-seam pass, the defense is going to put eight guys, so they're going to put four down linemen, three linebackers, and then one of the defensive backs in the box, and dare you to run the ball on them. That's the kind of thing that you would say to make it understanding for someone who's not as much of a hockey fan, but everybody understands that football analogy for some reason, so that's the real comparison to make there. Big picture, I'm still a little worried about the Rangers because, I'll be honest with you, they've just looked half a beat off. Through two games. I don't think they've looked horrendous. It's just the decision-making isn't crisp. Guys aren't exactly where they need to be to receive passes, and they just make too many silly mistakes, man. They just do not clear the zone for whatever reason because guys aren't coming back, the forwards aren't coming back in the zone to receive passes, to spring the rush to go the other way. They're still relying on the defensemen to bank the puck off the glass to create transition, and that's just not an efficient means of playing hockey. And Pittsburgh's forecheck is good. And I'll be honest with you, the Rangers are very lucky right now that the Penguins only have one line going at a high level right now. Right now, the Crosby, Rust, and Jake Gensel line is absolutely humming. They are getting cave. The Rangers are getting caved in when the Crosby line is on the ice, and the Rangers have tried pretty much everything. They've done the Zabinijad line. They've done the Strom line. They've done the fourth line against Crosby, and... That line is just doing whatever they want and they've tried all of the defensive pairs too and they're still getting away with whatever they want in the offensive zone and the Rangers need to cue in on that because going into the third period of that game where it's 3-2, to the Crosby line has scored every single goal for Pittsburgh except the Malkin overtime winner last night. Uh, That's not acceptable. I understand Sidney Crosby is one of the best players ever, and Jake Gensel is one of the best goal scorers in the league, and Brian Rust is the Mark Donk tweet come to life, but the Rangers need to do better against that line because that's the only line that's scoring for Pittsburgh right now. The Malkin line is not scoring at 5-on-5. The Jeff Carter line is not scoring at 5-on-5. And the Brian Boyle line is not scoring at 5-on-5. It is just the Crosby line right now. If the Rangers get that in order and actually play some good active defense against them, then the math equation becomes a lot easier. Because if that line's not scoring for Pittsburgh, nobody is. And if nobody's scoring for Pittsburgh, it's okay if you only score one or two goals. That'll be enough to win if you can hold the Crosby line in check. That has eluded the Rangers so far in this series. Continuing on here, the next subject I want to broach on is... When the Rangers have been playing well in this series so far through two games, it's when they've made Pittsburgh's defensemen make mistakes. When they've been able to sustain offensive pressure, win those 50-50 pucks, and keep the puck in the offensive zone for prolonged periods of time. Because those rush scoring opportunities just haven't been there in this series so far. And that was really the turning point in the regular season for the Rangers. When they started turning this on and they really had a strong way to wrap up the season, they were able to get the puck from defense to offense quickly, gain the zone, and then either shoot immediately or pass to a shot immediately. And those opportunities really haven't been there for them in this series And they have been there for Pittsburgh, which is a cause for concern because when the Rangers were playing really poorly in the first, I'd say, 40 games of the regular season and they were just riding Igor for all he was worth, it was because they were getting massacred in transition. The other team would gain the zone with speed, get the puck into the net mouth usually around Jacob Truba or Ke'Andre Miller, and get that puck on the net. That wasn't happening these last 15 games of the regular season, these last 20 games or so. They really cued in on the neutral zone well and weren't allowing teams to make plays with speed and forcing them to work harder for offense. And that's the thing here. That's why I understand the Rangers aren't going to be able to have the most engaged forecheck at all times because that is a draining and tiring means of playing hockey there's a reason the high end players like to skate with the puck on their stick into the zone with speed to create offense because that's easy that's the ideal scenario is you give the puck to Panarin he dangles two guys and he either rips a shot on net or he passes to somebody who rips a shot on net the thing is in the playoffs the other team is too good for that the, that's not the New Jersey Devils over there. Panarin's just not going to be able to do whatever he wants. He's going to have to work for his offense. And he had a solid game tonight. He had a goal and two assists. He was pretty involved. And even Panarin has looked a little bit off in this series, where he hasn't been as decisive. He hasn't made as crisp of passes. And even then, he still got three points. And that that's the sign of a truly special player like Panarin. Someone who's not on their game is still impacting the the outcome of the game that is something that very few people can do um Sidney crosby's been amazing through two games just full stop him gensel and rust have been the only way pittsburgh has gotten good chances in this series and sid has got the rangers in a blender man uh i know he's 35 years old he's in year 17 at this point of his nhl career I'm very tired of him. I know every Ranger fan and most of, and a lot of hockey fans out there are very tired of Sidney Crosby. They are tired of the way he gets away with the slashes. It's the way the Penguins get the benefit of the doubt in the situations other teams don't. I understand. I'm so tired of Sidney Crosby. I cannot wait for him to retire. It's going to be a watershed moment for hockey I'm going to be very happy when Sidney Crosby goes back to Nova Scotia to do God knows what. It'll be a good day for Ranger fans because one of our boogeymen will fully be gone. Next thing I want to broach on here is the officiating. I understand. I understand it is infuriating to watch the Penguins get away with what they get away with. The slashes, the holds, the interferences, the cross-checks. I understand it's infuriating. The officials are bad. We all, as hockey fans, understand that the officials are bad. There are too few of them. The game moves too fast. They are not close enough to where they need to be. And even when they are, they're entirely subjective in in the enforcement of the rules because everybody is human. All of them are people when they look at a situation they say oh well that happened that led up to this and this and this and then you have officials who are okay well we've called this many penalties on this team and this penalties on this team so I got to call it a little bit closer for this team now to keep the penalty ledger even and I don't think that's right I'll. We talk about this ad nauseum in the hockey community. I know this is a big thing on analytics Twitter because Analytics Twitter just wants the purest form of hockey, which is the superstar players making the superstar plays, and they can't do that because they're constantly accosted by less talented players. And in an ideal world we would call hockey like the NBA, where the superstars get special treatment and the bums have to work harder for their play, work harder for penalties, but the NHL officials are very subjective in enforcement, and it leads to this kind of very, very inconsistent enforcement of penalties where that first penalty they gave Nemeth for cross-checking. The player was already kind of leaning forward and a little bit off balance, and Nemeth, yes, by the letter of the law, he cross-checked him. He hit him with it, the shaft of his stick below the numbers, and he knocked him over. The player was already leaning forward and a little bit off balance. It was not vicious. It was not with speed. It was not with momentum. You cannot be calling that in a playoff game unless you're calling everything. If you want to call every single cross-check, I'm fine with that. But you don't get to pick and choose which cross-checks are penalties and which ones aren't. If we're calling that one a penalty, they all need to be penalties. Chris Letang got away with... Seven or eight slashes in the game on, sur- on Thursday night. Seven or eight. Because he is constantly swinging the stick. He's holding on to the knob. So he has as much reach as possible. And he is slashing away at the wrists and hands of a ranger skater. And it's just not cold. That is just Chris Latang is allowed to do that because he's Chris Letang. The referees look at it and say, well, it's Letang. He's not taking a penalty because he wouldn't do that because he's too good. That kind of officiating is bad For the game i need consistency if you're gonna call everything call everything if you're gonna call nothing call nothing none of this ticky tack well this is the situation of the game and it's this player or it's that player call everything call nothing be disciplinarian if the game is starting to get out of control with the after the whistle stuff start sending people to the box Give people two minutes for roughing. Give people two minutes for unsportsmanlike conduct. Keep the game under control so nobody gets hurt. That is the most important thing officials do. Their job is to make sure the game is safe. And they can't even fucking do that. I understand. It's hard to do. You're telling me you can't have... An overseer referee? Somebody who's at a, vi- a high vantage point, who's watching the game on a delayed feed, who can buzz downstairs if something happens and they need the other the on-ice officials to enforce? You're telling me we can't have a Sky Judge-type situation like what the XFL had a couple of years ago? That is what we need. We need a consistency and transparency. I talked about this the other day on the Locked on Penguins podcast with Hunter Hodes. We need full access to the officials after the game, and they need to have a f- pool report of decisions they make during the course of the game. In game number one, when they downgraded my- Ryan Lindgren's hit from a major to a minor, they should need to explain that to the public so we understand the process that was enacted. We need transparency from our officials because there are a lot of people out there who are wholly convinced that the officials are out to get their favorite team because they are so bad at their jobs. And that, that should tell you all you need to know about the confidence the public has in the NHL is that they feel like the NHL might actually be rigging games. That is how bad the NHL is at running a league. And that's the thing, man. At the end of the day, the, we're supposed to be talking about the hockey. This is supposed to be about the best players in the world on the best teams fighting for the best, best trophy in all of sports. And here we are talking about guys in their 40s and 50s, halfway down the ice calling penalties that they saw out of the corner of their eye. That's not good for the game, man. We should be talking about Sidney Crosby playing out of his mind at 35 years old. Not the officials picking and choosing when a cross check is and isn't a penalty. It's bullshit. It's unfair to the fans because you're robbing the fans of fairness, of uh, balance. I don't even know what the right word I'm looking for here is. You're robbing the fans fans of the full hockey experience when they're not getting the full scope of what the game could be that's disappointing as a fan man it sucks that we're still here two games into a series talking about officiating from game one and some of the officiating early on in game two and the ledgers even now they gave the penguins a couple penalties after the rangers only got one power play in the first game so i would like to see ranger fans stop complaining about that I understand that people think Pittsburgh gets officiated differently. I anecdotally, it does seem like Pittsburgh gets officiated differently, but they don't. That's just, that's the way the game is. And I talked about this before when I was talking about the NBA style of officiating where the stars get the benefit of the doubt. That's what Pittsburgh gets. The benefit of the doubt. Sid, Letang, Malkin, they get the benefit of the doubt. I've been watching Chris Letang slash people my entire life. I vividly remember Chris Letang slashing Victor Stahlberg across the face in a playoff game, and Letang didn't even get a penalty on the ice, let alone supplemental discipline from the Department of Player Safety. That's just the way the game is. It's bullshit, and it's unfair, but the NHL isn't changing. The Rangers tried to get the Department of Player Safety to change, and all it did was piss off the NHL even more. Okay. Okay. Wrapping up here, I do want to touch on a few things. Big picture things. Number one, the Rangers are dinged up. They're, there's no mistaking. No Goodrow, no Lindgren, that's bet. The Penguins are infinitely more dinged up right now. They're down to their third string goalie. They're missing two top six forwards. They're missing a first pair defenseman. The Rangers need to outlast Pittsburgh. If Pittsburgh starts to get healthy, the Rangers will be in trouble because Pittsburgh, depleted, is giving them a hard time. Fully healthy Pittsburgh really might be giving the rangers a harder time than they should as i said coming into this series on the preview i did on the podcast and the one i wrote for gotham sports network the rangers are a more talented roster they have more high-end talent the penguins have three outstanding forwards in crosby malkin and gensel outstanding the rangers have four they've got panarin They've got Zabinijad, they've got Kreider, and since Kopp's got there, he's been a point-per-game player, so I, at the moment, I would say Cop is an outstanding player. The Rangers have Fox, the Penguins have Latang. the Rangers have Ke'Andre Miller. The Penguins don't have another defenseman in that good, strong conversation right now. John Marino has been very good for them, I will say. I'll, I'll be fair. I, I thought of it while I was saying that they don't. So, all right, we'll say that, but the difference in that, the difference on third lines, Um, the kid line has been great. I, uh, I want to bully the shit out of Arthur Staple of The Athletic for a month ago writing, I think Gerard Gallant's going to give Ryan Reeves, Barkley Gudrow and Kevin Rooney more ice time than the third line because they have more hockey experience. I want to bully the shit out of that loser. That is a horrendous opinion that he deserves to be ridiculed for. That is egregious that that man is paid to write about his opinion. His opinion for hockey is paid for because that was horrendous. That line has been the Rangers' most consistent line. They are going to work. Lafreniere has been throwing the body around like a lunatic. Tapo has got the freshest legs on the team, and you can tell because he's the only one still skating hard in the third period. And Hedo is one of the two guys who will just skate with the puck in a straight line and take it to the net on the team. That third line has been very good for them. I'm very happy with the results they've gotten. Sure, they probably should have gotten another goal in game one, but I've been very happy with them. My big concern right now is the Rangers are still leading way too much on Shosturkin. A lot more than I thought they would need to against a Pittsburgh team. That's kind of top-heavy. The Jeff Carter line hasn't done much, and the fourth line with Brian Boyle hasn't done much either, and the Penguins are still going blow for blow with the Rangers here. That's got to be concerning for you if you're Gerard Gallant, thinking about the, the calculus of this series. So, in my mental... List of things I'm concerned about number one. My biggest concern is the Rangers defense has not been very good in this series as a whole that includes the forwards that includes neutral zone play. All of that stuff has not been very good for them in this series so far. It's only been two games. There's plenty of time to sort that out, but Pittsburgh is gaining the offensive zone with speed a lot of the time, and that is problematic for a Rangers team that really did a good job of not allowing that the final month of the season. So that's my number one concern. Number two is what I said before. Everybody just looks a little bit off. The passes aren't very crisp. Positioning isn't great. I'll be honest with you. I was worried in that third period until the Rangers, even when they were up 5-2, to two, I was still a little bit concerned Pittsburgh would get back in there and make it a game. The Rangers aren't The Rangers are playing well enough to hang around. They're not playing well enough to win the series. They might be able to outlast Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh is so dinged up and so injured right now, but I'm very concerned about how the rangers are playing so much because coming into the series i thought the rangers were in good shape the defense looked pretty good they were scoring just enough to be dangerous and that was really all they needed and they needed shisterkin And, and right now they're back to doing what they were doing in december and january shisterkin doing all the work the power play scoring that's all they got right now they need to be better at five on five I would like to see more of the kid line at 5 on 5. I'd like to see them get some more offensive zone starts. The big problem that I understand why they haven't been getting so many zone starts in the offensive zone is they're not winning faceoffs and there's no point in putting them out there in the offensive zone if they would face off. All right, I understand that. As a whole the Rangers aren't winning faceoffs. So what's the harm in letting the most straight line line get offensive zone starts where even if they don't win the faceoff, at least they can pressure the puck and try and get it back and sustain some pressure? I mean I'm not going to talk shit, I want the first and second line, I want the Panarin line, I want the Zivinijad line working that cross team pass because they're the lines that are good enough to play that way, but some straight line stuff would be nice every now and then from those groups, that's all I'll say. Okay, real quick. You saw the difference between Florida and Washington tonight. Uh, that was That's closer to what I expected the series to resemble than what it was in Game 1 for Washington. Washington won Game 1, Florida tied it up at one game apiece. Washington did a good job for one period of mucking it up and trying to slow the game down. But Florida was able to open it up, turn it into a track meet, score at will, and pulled away very convincingly. I expect Florida to win that series in five games still, even after spotting Washington a game on the road. Washington probably can steal another game at home, but I think Florida will wrap that up rather nicely. Dallas playing pretty well against Calgary, doing a good job of minimizing their zone time, getting to de- from defense to offense quickly, and not letting the Calgary 4-check get in their faces. That game one was only one nothing. It's early in the first period. Mid- there's a few minutes to go in the first period left of that game, but Calgary is going to have to work for their offense. Dallas is one of the best defensive teams in the entire league. They had to be because they don't score a ton. They have one good line to score goals. And then in Nashville, Colorado, Nashville's doing a better job today. They're actually playing hockey tonight. Game one, they got boat race. It happens to the be- the less talented teams against the elite teams. That's fine. That's part of this. But but I still think Colorado's going to pull away. I mean, it's 1-1. I, I'll give Nashville a game. Maybe in Nashville, the catfish will be thrown on the ice. I think maybe Knox will sneak in give them some good juju for one of these games that might help them out, but other than that, I think Nashville's got a steep uphill battle. It was good to see Matthew Shane get on the score sheet twice the other night for them in that blowout, but not a lot to say about the Nashville-Colorado series. Still need to watch more, to be honest with you. They're at first intermission right now, and once I'm done recording, I can actually watch the final two periods and take some notes and get a better feel for it. Of the games that are going to be played tonight on Friday, um, number one, I do like how the Wild played on Wednesday night. The Wild came out flying. They buzzsawed the Blues. That was very encouraging to see that I was kind of I was kind of concerned about how the Blues played them in game one. And because the Blues had won the this this season series three games to nothing, I was a little bit concerned for the Wild. But they looked good. They were able to turn that game into a track meet, use their team speed. Kevin Fiala, that's my fantasy team guy. Tomorrow, I mean, we've got that. Uh, I expect the Oilers... Again, I think the Oilers should be able to win that series in five or six games. They throttled the Kings. Uh, Yeah, the the Oilers are more talented. Just full stop, they're more talented. I got to watch them a little bit more in depth. That's the problem with these 10 o'clock games is I've been recording during them, so I don't get to watch the first period as in depth. And then by the time I actually do sit down to watch, I'm pretty tired, so I'm not taking as diligent notes as I probably should be. I expect the Hurricanes to probably sweep the Bruins at this point. The Bruins look out of gas. They look exhausted. They've got basically nothing offensively through two, three games. Marshawn can't get anything going. Pasternak's going to have a target on his back for what he did to uh, Ranta in Game 2. I expect that to be another thorough ass-kicking. And then Tampa and Toronto, I don't know what to expect for Game 3. That's the game I'm most excited for tomorrow. If the Met game doesn't get rained out, which it's pretty good chance it's going to. It's supposed to rain all day tomorrow in Philly. But if it doesn't get rained out, I will be diligently watching and taking notes for all of those games if doesn't get rained out, I will be at the back game. So, no hockey analysis on the timeline. Just me making fun of Bryce Harper and trying not to get stabbed on the way back to the car for at Citizens Bank Ballpark. So, that will just about do it for today's show. I hope everybody enjoys the weekend. It's a really good sports weekend. we got the second round of the NBA playoffs. We've got the NHL playoffs in full swing. Full slate of baseball. We've got Formula One in Miami, which is exciting. Anytime Formula One's in the United States. We've got NASCAR at Darlington for the throwback race on Mother's Day on Sunday. That's always exciting. That's a very competitive track at the next-gen car. will be very exciting to see. How it lasts. Uh, the last time they raced at a track similar to Darlington was Fontana, which was the best intermediate track of the season so far. Uh, the best race of the year so far still was talent, uh, was Daytona. I'm not just saying that because I was there, but this should be a pretty good NASCAR race this weekend at Daytona. The Miami Grand Prix inaugural race, if it goes well, they will continue it probably for the foreseeable future. Even if it doesn't go well, they probably will. The The history of Formula One in the United States is very interesting. I recommend going down that YouTube and Wikipedia wormhole of all the weird places they've raced. They raced in the Caesars Palace parking lot in the late 80s, which is basically what they're doing in Miami. They're racing in the Hard Rock Stadium parking lot, which is very funny. Uh, they have fake water, and they put real yachts on lifts around it to mimic what it looks like at Monaco when they come down the back straightaway where it's people rich people on yachts watching the race in you know the ocean as opposed to in a parking lot but I digress okay that's enough of an epilogue for today's show that will just about do it I'll see you guys on Monday have a good weekend